Last week, I talked to you about the law of seed time and harvest. Y'all remember that? And uh, I hope you were blessed by that. A lot of it is was just review because we're a we're a, a pretty knowledgeable congregation, and uh, we've taught on these things before. Uh, uh, we've had a lot of teaching on on uh, sowing and reaping and seed time and harvest. But I felt the need to go back again and and uh, relay some of the foundations for it in the scriptures. And so we talked about how there is an eternal law in the scriptures that God has uh, instituted in the earth. And that is the law of seed time and harvest. He said, as long as the earth remains, as long as the earth remains, there will be seed time and harvest, cold and, and, uh, and hot, summer and winter. The seasons will continue uh, as long as the earth remains. And he had removed the curse from the land. Remember when Adam sinned, God cursed the ground. And he told Adam, you're, you're, the ground's not going to just produce for you like it did before. You're going to have to go out and you're going to have to make the earth produce and earn your living by the sweat of your brow. But after the flood, God promised Noah that there would never be another flood to destroy the earth. He didn't say there wouldn't be floods, but he said there would never be a, a world catastrophe, de destruction. Um, and then he said to, to Noah, now go out and sow and reap. As long as the earth remains, there will be seed time and harvest. So he removed that curse off the ground and, and uh, gave man back the right and ability to produce in the earth. Whatever you sow in the earth will produce a harvest. That's what God was telling uh, Noah. And so since then, uh, the earth has produced. And the earth is so good at it. First of all, seed only has one thought, and that's to produce a harvest. You know, seed is very single-minded. It's driven, it has a mandate from God that when it's planted, it must produce. And the ground has a mandate that whatever seed is planted in it, it will make grow. It will nourish, it will feed that seed, whether it be a good seed or a bad seed. And so the laws of harvest are governed by the laws of planting and and uh, cultivating and and uh, reaping and everything we do in this world is based on that principle and for centuries for many many centuries the the primary way of making a living was to grow a crop to produce from the from the land everything including the animals were a product of the land you know the cattle go out and and graze on the grassy fields, and somehow or another they're able to turn that grass into milk and cheese and, and, and meat. Same way with the sheep and, and every other critter. They, they, they are all caught up into that ecosystem that is ruled by seed time and harvest, seed time and harvest, seed time and harvest. Everything, everything that, that produces has a seed in it. If it doesn't have a seed in it, it can't produce. 
and that includes mankind. Mankind is is a product of of sowing and reaping seed time and harvest. There cannot be a continuation of the human race without seed time and harvest. And that's what that's why people are are born with a a, a sexual drive because without uh, the, uh, the, the spreading of the seed, and without the fertilizing of the egg, there can be no offspring. And that's just the way it is. You, you, you know, that's, why, that's why two people of the same sex is such a, an illegal arrangement is because it's not, it, it's not possible for them to reproduce. They've got to go outside of that arrangement in order to find seed or egg. You're not just, you know, two lesbians are not going to have a baby because there's no seed. Amen. And so they have to go out and adopt or they go out and, and find a donor of some sort. And, and, and they go through all kinds of, of, of perversions to, and, and to, to produce that seed. And so we, we, are, we are the product of that process. Everybody say, I'm the product. Of seed time and harvest. Now, in Genesis chapter 3, in verse 15, uh, we have the first prophecy concerning Jesus. His name is not mentioned here, but his, his, uh, his, his function is he's called seed. Jesus is called seed. Genesis 3, 15, I will put enmity between thee and the woman. He's talking to the serpent. And he says, I will put enmity. Now, enmity is um, hateful opposition, war. There's going to be war between you, the serpent, and the seed, the, woman, the seed of the woman, and, and which was kind of mind-boggling because God doesn't make mistakes. And God chooses words, and, and his words mean something. And God is saying to the snake, he's saying to the serpent, between your seed, well, and her seed, the woman, well, women don't have seed. The man's the one who has the seed. But he says between the seed of the woman, which was a prophecy of the virgin birth. Everybody say virgin birth. Virgin birth. Amen. And so between, between your seed, Satan was going to produce you know, the serpent was representing, representing Satan. Satan is going to produce seed in the earth. Remember, Jesus says, you're of your father, the devil. The rebellious, the rebellious uh, uh, humans are the seed and offspring of Satan. That rebellion, they take on that rebellious nature. They rebel against God. They're the offspring. They're the seed of, of Satan. And then he says, your seed is going to be uh, opposed to uh, the seed of the woman. And her seed shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. And so uh, he speaks of a conflict that's going to, it's going to last for thousands of years. I mean, this, this was, this was 6,000 years ago that this, these words were uttered by God. 
And, and for all the time between then and now, there's been this warfare between the seed of the serpent and the holy seed, which is God, in the form of Jesus. Amen? And, but we also have prophesied here, who wins? Said, he will bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. And, and so um, uh, we know that, that uh, ultimately Jesus uh, crushes the devil beneath his feet. Now look in John 3.16. Very familiar scripture. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that through the world, that the world through him might be saved. Now God, God sent his own son born into the world as, as the son of a virgin mother, the seed of the woman. Man, man did not interject any seed. It was, it, was, it was the Holy Spirit who hovered over Mary, and Mary conceived. So God, God planted his seed in Mary's womb, and the offspring, the outcome of that was born the Son of God the only begotten son of god the only uh, you know it was it was a once in um, in history event there's never been another son of god born there's never been another e e event like this it it was it was so ev eventful that history was divided the history timeline was divided by his coming his birth we have you know bc and ad it, it, uh, uh, he split time in half. And so everything before Jesus uh, was leading up to Jesus, everything after Jesus came is looking back on, on that event. But God interjected his own seed, his own seed. Now, the seed is what determines the blood type. The seed is what determines the, uh, 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 a lot of the characteristics of, the, of and the sex and all of that. Uh, the seed is very important, and it was the seed of God joined with the, the human egg in Mary, and it became a, a, a God-human, human God. Fully human and fully divine. Amen? And we believe in it. We believe in the immaculate conception. We believe in, in, uh, in, in God's only Son. All right, so... Uh, so God planted a seed in the earth. Yes. Now, what was God's expectation? When God plants a seed, what is God expecting? He's expecting a harvest. He's expecting uh, that seed to reproduce after its own kind and multiply. Now, this was definitely an, an anointed seed. The Bible calls him Jesus the Christ meaning the anointed one. This seed was anointed. In other words, it was, uh, it was super seed. It was radioactive. It was powerful, hot seed. I mean, it, it, it had, it had everything, uh, everything that speaks of God in it. And what it was going to produce was not only the Son of God, but sons of God. 
in the multiplication of that seed. Now, Jesus made a statement about the seed uh, and that is, uh, is very agricultural. And people who uh, plant crops and harvest crops, they understand that the nature, the nature of, of the whole process requires a death. Something has to be buried. Something has to be buried. It has to die in order to germinate. The seed has to be planted in the ground. Only seeds planted are going to produce. As long as the seed is in your hand or in a jar or in a bag or sack, it's not going to produce. It has to be planted in the earth because seed time and harvest is, involves the earth, the dirt. And so the seed that Jesus was had to be planted. And so Jesus said in John 12, 23, The hour has come, the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat or a kernel of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. Jesus was speaking about his, his death, burial, and resurrection. But the, he, was, he was indicating the purpose of his death, burial, and resurrection was so that the seed, which he is, he is the seed, capital S, he's the fulfillment of Genesis 3.15, he is, he's the fulfillment of John 3.16, the seed that came from heaven that was planted in Mary had to now be planted in the earth and die. It had to be it had to die in order for it to come alive again and bring forth fruit in the earth. And so we know that the fruit of that seed is uh, all of those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ are saved and inherit eternal life, and they become uh, they become the many sons of God. Now Revelation chapter one and verse start with verse four. Revelation one four talks about this is John to the seven churches which are in Asia grace be unto you and peace from him which is which was and which is to come now who is that from him which is which was and which is to come that's Jesus he pre-existed uh, coming into Mary's womb didn't he he was the word of God Jesus, it says, uh, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead. You might want to underline that. First begotten of the dead. First. Everybody say first. first. Now, when you see the word first, what does that indicate? That there's a second, a third, a fourth, a fifth, a sixth. I don't know what your number is or what my number is, but we're numbered. We're not the first, we're not the second, we're not the twelfth, we're not the, you know, but we're, we, we, we are the product of that process. He says, the first begotten from the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. And the reason his blood was required to wash us from our sins is it was the only blood that was not guilty. Because it was God's blood. 
And we think, oh, yeah, Pastor, I know that. But you know, there are a lot of people that don't know these things. And the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and hath made us to be kings and priests unto God and his Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. He's made us something. You see, when we accept Jesus Christ, we pass from uh, this uh, just being of the earth and we become of God. Scripture says, ye are of God, little children. John 4, 4. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome the world. You see, when we receive Jesus Christ, we become overcomers. What are we overcoming? The world and the world in us. We overcome our nature, which is earthly, and we become partakers of the divine nature, and, and we are adopted into the family of God, and we become sons of God. We become offspring of God because of this law of seed time and harvest, this multiplication process. Jesus gave his life, died, was buried, rose again, and all who believe on him are reborn. Jesus said, you must be born again. Everyone who believes on Jesus is reborn. Reborn into what? Reborn into the God class of people. We're born into the family of God. We're like Jesus. And from that point on, the whole process of life is to conform you into his image, to make you exactly an exact copy of Jesus. That's why you don't just die when you get saved. We don't keep a shotgun in the pulpit. You know, there's, so, there's something that has to happen to you and with you. There's a process of you growing up into his likeness, into his full stature. Hebrews chapter, uh, Romans chapter 4 talks about growing up into the full stature of the man of Christ. You're born a baby, a baby Christian. And there's a process where you grow up in the full, the full stature until you're just like him. Amen? Amen? Yes, and then you're ready to go to heaven. Then we can pull the shotgun out. But if we were to shoot you when you first get saved, that's premature. And many times I've wished that we could because some folks, they don't last very long. They get saved, and then, you know, then they eventually go back into, the, in, into their former life, and it'd been better for them if somebody did shoot them. But don't worry, we're not going to do that. Amen? I, 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 no, no shotgun in the pulpit. Amen. And so, <laughs> oh, some folks needed blown away, I guess. But that's God's business. Everybody say, that's God's business. Now look with me in Romans 8 and verse 28. Now this is, this is everybody's favorite scripture. Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose, for whom he did foreknow. This is verse 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. It was in God's plan from the beginning. See, God had vision. He had a vision for the future. His plan was to send his son, but it didn't end there. His plan was for that son to be planted in the earth 
and die so he could bring forth many sons. And it says he did predestinate all of, uh, all of us to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be what? The firstborn among many brethren. Jesus is no longer the only begotten son of God. Now, John 3.16 says, God so loved the world, he sent his only begotten son. Well, at the time Jesus was saying that, Jesus was the seed, and he was, but he was still alive. He hadn't been planted. But when he became planted, Jesus gave up being the only begotten of the Father, and he, began, he, he became the firstborn among many brethren. Jesus is no longer the only begotten of the Father. He's the firstborn. He's our elder brother. And we're his little siblings. Amen. Oh, and by the way, he has no grandchildren. We're all adopted in as sons, sons and daughters of the Most High God. So Hebrews chapter 2, if you'll turn to Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9, we see Jesus. He says, but we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. See, angels are not subject to death. Can't kill an angel. That's why the devil's still around. Much as we'd love to kill him, can't kill him. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. Now, when you think of seed time and harvest and sowing and reaping, you realize that Jesus had to taste death for us to even exist as children of God. Because before he tasted death, we were the sons of the devil. <laughs> we were the children of disobedience. See, there's this fallacy out there that everybody in the world are the children of God. And that's not true. They potentially are. They can be. But only if they become born again. Jesus said you have to be born again. Otherwise, you're a, you're a child of disobedience. You're, you're, you're part of the rebellion. It's true. So we see Jesus tasting death for every man. For it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons unto glory. Everybody say many sons, sons. unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect or complete. That word perfect means complete. You see, his mission wasn't complete without him dying. He had to suffer and die to fulfill his mission, just like the seed has to go into the ground and, and die in order to germinate. Because the purpose of the seed is not to just be seed. The purpose of the seed is to make seed, to produce seed. And so Jesus had to suffer and die in order to be perfected, to, to fulfill his mission. For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one. We're part of the same crop. 
for which cause he is not ashamed to call them servants, slaves. No, brethren. He's not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. This is, a, uh, this is what Jesus is saying to the Father. I will declare thy name unto my brethren. <laughs> so Jesus didn't just raise himself from the dead and go to, to go to heaven and fi finish his task, but he took us with him. We are now seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He took his brethren with him. Can you say praise the Lord? Now, uh, I want you to look with me in John, 1 John, 1 John, chapter 3, verse 16. Well, these John 3, 16s are important. Genesis 3, 15, John 3, 16, 1 John 3, 16. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us. And by the way, there's not a period there. That's not the end of the story. Jesus laid down his life for us, and, everybody say, and. and. We ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. You know, what's he saying? He said, we need to keep this process going. This process has to keep going. I died for you, now you die for the brethren. I laid down my life for you, now you lay down your life for the brethren. We've got to, we've got to keep this law of seed time and harvest going. We've got to keep this process going. In order for this thing to be perfect and complete, everyone has to participate. We've got to have a crop for next season. And then we've got to have a crop for the season after that. And we've got to have a harvest for the season after that. And every generation has to be reached for Christ. People talk about, you know, this gospel, must be, this gospel of the kingdom must be preached unto all nations. And after that, the end shall come. I, I, think that mo I, think we, I don't think we understand that scripture. Because if we don't reproduce in our, in our time for the next generation, then the next generation hasn't heard the gospel. And they're going to have to have their own revival. So every time a new, uh, one generation passes away and a new generation comes, it all starts over. For example, there was a time when jolly old England was Christian. And Ireland was Christian, and Scotland was Christian. But you go there today, and it's less than 4%. There are more Muslims there than there are Christians. What happened? What happened was they didn't multiply. There was a generation that, re that, that were the beneficiaries of the great revivals, you know, the Welsh revival, and you know, all the McBride revival and all, all, all those revivals that we hear about and read about in history, and they were beneficiaries of it, but then they were satisfied with that, and they were unwilling to lay themselves down and plant themselves for the next generation. 
And so the next generation's born, and, and, and they're born without God. And so we've got to have another big revival in order to get that generation. But, but we, we, we're always starting over. Every generation, we're starting over. And this isn't the will of God. The will of God is to take the fruit of this generation, the, the seed of this generation, and plant it for the next generation so that the next crop will be bigger than the first crop. Amen? Amen? Yes, and God's going to have His way. His law is His law, and God's going to have it His way. And I believe that if we're going to reap a billion souls in our, in our lifetime, which there's prophecies saying that, that this revival that we've entered into already is going to result in a billion souls saved word, worldwide. If that's going to happen, it's going to be because some people were willing to plant themselves. They were willing to plant their own lives. They were willing to not live selfishly. You know, mo most of the time when you have a revival meeting, who's, who's it for? It's for the people that are there already. Now, I don't want you taking offense at this, but, but it's, it's just something I've observed. I've been in this business 52 years, this pastor business. I was an evangelist before that for four years, but so I, I've been around a while. I've observed a few things. Been in a lot of revival meetings, a lot, a lot of James Maloney meetings, miracle services, whatever. But I've noticed that when the call is given for people to come forward to receive, uh, to receive ministry, to receive prayer for healing and miracles and signs and wonders, it's all the old saints that go down and get in the line. And they're usually getting prayed for the same thing they got prayed for last year when Brother Maloney was here. And I can even get the tapes and go back and listen to the tapes and the prophecies that he's prophesying over people. And I can compare it to the year before and the year before that and the year before that and the year before that. And it's the same people getting the same. Brother Maloney noticed that and he finally refused to even come. Y'all remember that when he just refused to come? <laughs> he said, they haven't done anything with what I gave them last year. Remember that, that, that year where we spent the whole fall, the whole autumn of that year fasting and praying and getting ourselves right because Brother Maloney upgraded, upbraided us and told us that we were in a stupor? Y'all remember that? Oh, how easy it is for us to just fall into selfishness and thinking, oh, well, I want prayer. I want prophecy. I want a word. I want a healing. I want, and, and we forget that, that we're supposed to be producing for others. Yeah. Amen. Get your healing. Keep it this time. And then, and then, uh, uh, then bring others who need it. Amen. 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 We, we've got to start seeing ourselves as the seed. I am the seed. I am the seed for not just my generation, but for my, my grandchildren's generation and their children's generation. I don't want them to have to have revival upon revival upon revival. I want them to experience reformation. I, wa I want them to exper experience uh, what's beyond just people getting saved, repenting, and getting delivered from drugs and, and alcohol and all that kind of stuff again. And again, and again, I, I want I want to see what what's over the next hill, right? I, I want 
I, and I want to see it with my own eyes. And of course, I'm going to be 72 tomorrow. So, and I'm not saying I'm getting old. I'm just saying, uh, you know, I can, I, I can see the sand in the hourglass, you know, running through. And I know there's more on the bottom now than there was is on top. And so I'm, you know, I'm more than halfway there. And I know that time's running out, but I want to see these. Things. I want to see while I'm living in the earth. I want to see some guarantees that the next generations are going to be able to build upon what we have and not have to start over again. Because that's the only way the gospel of the kingdom is going to be preached unto the end of the earth. And then the end can come if we don't have to start over every generation. Now, God's patient. You know, he told Moses, he said, Moses, I'm going to kill them all and I'll just start over with you. And that's exactly what he did. It's exactly what he did. He let them wander around in the wilderness till they all fell dead except for two, Joshua and Caleb. And then he took those two plus the young ones that came up and he, and he took the promised land with them. God w was willing to wait 40 years. God's very patient. 40 years to God is nothing. But it's a generation to us. And I don't want God to look at our generation, look at me, and say, well, you dropped the ball, so I'm going to have to start over without you. I'm going to have to move among the hippies. I'm going to have to move among the weirdos out there and start all over again and hope they carry it through. Now, I want to be that I want to be among those people that carries it through to the next generation. And the only way I'm going to do that is to plant myself. To be willing to die to myself, to be willing to be humbled unto death of my flesh. I'm not saying I have to give my natural life, but I'm saying I ha I have to I have to be willing to give it all. And Lay it all down, all my pride, all my, yes, sir. you know, my selfish ambitions. It's like one day I was preaching about the coming of the Lord and the rapture of the church, and one of the deacons' wives squealed out and says, Oh, no, oh, no, oh, no, I don't want that. I don't want that. I don't want Jesus to come. I mean, right in front of everybody. I said, well, sister, why not? She said, I want my little girl. Her little girl was about two. I want my little girl to grow up. I want to see her in her prom dress. I want to see her graduate from high school. I want to see her walk down the aisle in her wedding dress. And I want to hold my, baby, my grandbabies in my arms. And then Jesus can come. And being the very tactful person that I was, I said, do you hear that, Jesus? You can't come now. You can't come now. Our sister here has got an agenda, and you've got to hold off until she gets what she wants. Well, that didn't go over too good. That wasn't very tactful. But I got my message across. By the way, that lady's still a friend of ours. She's a Facebook friend of ours. She did get to see her daughter grow up and get married. Her daughter is now a... Uh, a medical doctor and has a husband and has children and now she's now she's saying Jesus don't come yet I want to see my grandkids grow up <laughs> yeah. but there's never an end to selfishness yeah. That's good. there's never an end to it we we have to be willing yeah. 
we have to be willing to, you know, lay it all on the altar of sacrifice. Can you say amen? It's up to us to keep the process going. And that's the point of my message this morning. You see, we're, we're sending Brother Jimmy out to uh, Nepal as a seed. He's not going to die. He's not going to die. All right, y'all watch me. Listen to me. Jimmy's not going to die. Except he is dying. He has to put his business, his car business, on hold. He has to leave for three weeks. So he has to put his, his wife and, and his family and all his familial activities on hold. And he has, to, he has to risk his finances. He has to risk uh, uh, who knows what out there in the land of the uttermost part of the earth. You know, there, there is, there is, there is a, a, a sacrifice involved. We sacrifice too. You know, we're sacrificing to give to him so that he can go. And I appreciate the fact that everybody, everybody in the church has given something towards his trip. And it's been, it's been, you know, a blessing to me to see you respond. And I know that's a sacrifice because you don't have necessarily in your budget money for this and money for that, but you've made place for it. Thank God for you. So there's sacrifice involved. Why are we doing this? We're doing this for a harvest. There's got to be a harvest in Nepal. We don't know how long the doors are going to be open. The doors to Myanmar are closed. We don't know when the doors of Myanmar are going to open up again. Nepal is not a friendly nation. It's not friendly to the gospel. And yet we're going. Others have gone. Many have gone and planted seed. There's, there, there is an expectation for harvest in Nepal. And we may be, we may be late in getting there. I mean, a lot of, a lot of folks... I'm finding out how many people have already been there. Brother David Hogan, he's been there many times, he said. Yes, and so there, there are lots of people who've been there. So here goes Jimmy. You know why? The laborer who gets there at 5 o'clock gets the same wages as the laborer who got there in the morning. So we're not going to miss out on reward. But we, we're going there for harvest. Not, not for the glory of saying, I, I've been there. Right. Not for the glamour. Because right. I've been there, and I'll promise you there's no glamour. Not because we like to ride in uh, airplanes and little midget seats. You know, we don't. Amen. Thank you all for coming. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. I know his leg is miserable, but we're, we're going to let him go. Praise God. So are you ready to be planted? Are you ready to die? And, that, and I interpret that as living a selfless life, a giving life. So praise the Lord. We're going to receive communion uh, before we are dismissed. And uh, part of the communion involves this very thing I've been talking about. Jesus said, you know, when he held up the, the, the bread, he said, this is my body, which is what? 
broken for you, signifying his suffering that was coming, signifying the impending death. And then he said, when he, when he picked up the cup, he said, this is, this is my blood. Well, his blood was about to be spilled. And we know that Jesus gave his all. He gave everything. Why? Well, his glory, his glory was, we think, you know, we know that he was glorified. He said, I'm about to be glorified. We know that he was glorified by the Father. But really, what was his glory? His glory was in bringing many sons, bringing many sons unto the Father. That was his glory. And so when we eat of this and drink of this, Jesus said, you're, you're, showing, you're showing forth my death until I come. Now, what does that mean? He says, you're, you're, you're being reminded and you're reminding others of the price that was paid in order for you to be here. A seed had to be planted. A seed had to die, and it was the seed, capital S, the seed of God. So hold that bread up there and say, Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for bringing me into the family, for be, being willing to do whatever it takes so I can be born again. Give me the same attitude and willingness to help others come into the kingdom. And I thank you for the body that was broken. In Jesus' name, let's eat together. And then he took the cup and said, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. He wasn't just talking about the last half of the Bible. He was talking about this is a new covenant that's being made. Covenants in those days were sealed in blood. And this covenant was sealed in the blood of God, God's own son. I have a deal with God that's sealed and signed in the blood of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for this blood that was shed for me, for my family, for my children, my children's children, my children's children, children after them and for all future generations. Lord, may the way I live my life and serve you produce fruit for generations to come. And I give you praise for it, and I thank you for the opportunity for me to be in covenant with you. In Jesus' name, let's drink together.